Well, it's fantastic to be with you all this morning. If I've not met you before, my name is Michael, and um, I get invited down sometimes to speak here at New Life Coolangatta. If it's your first time here at New Life, let me explain like how I fit into the picture. New Life is a family of churches. Um, we believe in planting churches that we might see more people more like Jesus. And I, I get the privilege of serving in, in leading that family. We have about three churches at the moment, four if you include online. We have one in Brisbane, one in Rabina, and one down here at Coolangatta, which is God's end of the Gold Coast. Amen. Cool. I thought you'd be a little bit more excited about that, but that's okay. I remember we're at Cool and Gutter, which is like just a bit more laid back. Um, and so every now and again, Pastor Scott just invites us down. And I get really privileged to be here. Number one, because I know the teaching you guys receive on a regular basis, and also recognize it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Um, and for some reason, Scott's invited me back again in two weeks' time. So I'm going to be back again in two weeks. So if you're like, that's a bad thing, hey, miss church in two weeks' time, and that'd be fine. If you don't enjoy today, or you find it a little bit boring or arduous, let me encourage you, Scott's one of the best preachers I know in the world, and he's preaching next week. And so if it's your first time here today, you're like, oh, that guy was a bit weird. Come next week, Scott's face is filled with more manly facial hair than mine will ever have. He's filled with the Spirit of God, and he loves Jesus a lot. Um, And so I'd encourage you to come back and uh, just be gracious to me this week as we step in and talk. We're finishing our series on crucial conversations today. And this has been a moment when we've wanted to kind of find the intersection between what the beauty of Christ is and the questions of our culture and say, hey, does the message of Jesus and the gospel help us wrestle with things well? We've looked at some big things this year. We've looked at, uh, we began uh, right in the beginning looking at digital And we talked about digital connection. Pastor Alex came and spoke about that. Then we talked about the environment. How does it mean for us to be custodians of of what God has entrusted to us? We then had spoke about money and finances. How do we wrestle with generosity in the age of scarcity? And then the last time before Naturally Supernatural Weekend, we spoke about the idea of life. How does it start? When does it end? And how do we kind of bring the fullness of ourselves and to trust Jesus in that? Today, I get to finish the series on Reconciliation dealing with our nation's past, that we might step well into our nation's future. Now, when you think about the big questions of our time and our age, maybe you're sitting and being like, we haven't talked about sexuality, identity, or sex, and these are pretty big issues for us. We're actually doing a relationship series next year, and we want to like handle that all together. So stick around for next year. It's going to be awesome. But today, I want to step into a moment that, that's important for me, because I've got to be honest, I grew up as what you would call a white fella. I grew up in Toowoomba um, amongst a very white community. Uh, back then, Toowoomba is very multicultural now, but back then it was very white. I grew up in a Christian school, Christian home, Christian church. If you were to talk to me about our First Nations people, our indigenous brothers and sisters, and the reconciliation that needs to take place, if I can just be honest, I'd probably say, ah, does it really matter? Is it really that important? Can't we just keep moving? And since that moment, God has led me on a journey to recognize that his heart is a heart for all peoples that call Australia home. His heart is a heart for all peoples that they call uh, his kingdom, their kingdom. And that part of my role is to not be insensitive because it hasn't affected me per se, but to delve into the history of our nation, that we might know how God is bringing healing, how God is leading us into the future. That song we sang earlier today was powerful. Heal our land. Heal our land. We live in a beautiful country, don't we? A country where you literally can walk out here today and jump on like a six-foot surfboard and go surfing for the rest of this afternoon. That is a blessing. We do not have that in some of our other locations. Only New Life Brisbane will be sweltering in 35-degree heat today, and uh, they'll try and go and swim at South Bank, which is just like a really big toilet. Um, (laughs) and, And that's difficult for them. But as we look at this land, we have to remember a principle that's really quite important. And I talked about this principle a couple, of years ago, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the environment. And this is how I want to frame today. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says this. 
The earth is the Lord's and everything there in it. This is such a good lens with which we talk about this, this topic. Friends, Christians believe the earth belongs to no one but God. And that's so important. And so when we talk about God, what God has done throughout history is through different seasons, according to his wisdom and his goodwill, entrusted the earth at different times to different peoples. Now, that is part of his mysterious world. We've not always understood that. Not all those people have followed Jesus. Not all those people would be Judeo-Christian societies, but God in his wisdom entrusted custodianship of the land. So when we actually talk about an acknowledgement of country, for me, I've wrestled with this. Because a lot of people talk about when I do an acknowledgement of country or I talk about indigenous, they're like, oh, you're just being political. And there's kind of two sides to this. There's like this sense where over here, the political left is like, we have to do whatever we can to be politically correct. We have to make sure we're not offending anyone, make sure we've noticed every minority in every single room, that we're not like stepping on anyone's toes, right? And that, that can kind of be where people get worried that we're heading. But then there's the other side of this, which is the political right, which is kind of can at times kind of be a bit more abrasive. Hey, why can't we just move on? Uh, I think maybe we're, we're not recognizing that we've moved past this moment. Let's not just keep sinking money into things that, that aren't really working. But I actually think there's a third way, like all of these topics, and it's the way of the kingdom. And the way of the kingdom suggests something different. And when I do an acknowledgement of country, I'm not actually caring about politics at all. I don't care about politics when I talk about this stuff. I'm actually making a theological statement. So when we acknowledge peoples who had custodianship of this land, I'm acknowledging that God has always been God of Australia that God has always been God of the whole earth. And that at different times, different peoples had had custodianship. And now we are one people. We can be one people in the kingdom of God. But I'm recognizing there's still a journey to go to bring healing from the past hurt and trauma. So when I say, friends, that I will acknowledge that I was not the first person here. I would love to acknowledge the Bunjalung people group, um, the, the, not the Yugara. I'm going to get the, the name wrong of this local place, Kim. Yungenbeh people group, the Yungenbeh language group, were entrusted with custodianship of this land. And, and we acknowledge their leadership in the past, their leadership in the present. And I really pray that godly indigenous leaders would rise up to lead us into the future, that we would acknowledge and celebrate that. That's a theological statement for me, friends. And maybe that's a bit hard. But what I'm not saying there is that we've got to go the way of politics here. I want to wrestle today with what the way of the kingdom looks like. What does the way of the kingdom look like to deal with our nation's past? And to do that, I go to a, a book of the Bible called 2 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is where I recognize reconciliation is not a political word, it's a kingdom word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 to 15, we read this, For Christ is, Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced. How good is that? Christ's love compels us. We could just pause today and ask this question. What's compelling you right now? Can we all be honest that when we drive, very little of that is compelled by Christ's love? <laughs> Right? But this is a chance. Some of you are like, oh, it's a bit close home. That's prayer after the service if you need that. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, hear this, friends. This is beautiful. The Apostle Paul writing, from now on, we regard no one, no one from a worldly point of view, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in time we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what reconciliation looks like. The first step of reconciliation, friends, is that peoples are reconciled to God. That the greatest reconciling act of work is that we come before the God, our, our Father in heaven, and recognize we are called to be sons and daughters, and that he has done all things possible to make that way home for us. But when we celebrate that gap reconciliation in our hearts, we as Christians believe that reconciliation cannot stop with us. That we are called to be reconciled to each other. That we are called to step into things that hurt, things that are painful, things that may not be my story, but might be someone else's story that I might understand. Not tell someone what their story is, but see, God, how are you calling me to be a part of your healing work in this story and in this narrative? Friends, it's time that the Christian church didn't let politics define our agenda. We let the kingdom of God, the heart of reconciliation, lead us into the next step. There's a great pastor who says it like this, an indigenous pastor. He says, you can play a tune on black keys, you can play a tune on white keys, but both are needed for perfect harmony. Today, my heart is this, is that we would learn to be a community that has a beautiful melody echoing from it. There's a harmonious melody echoing from it. That we might wrestle well with this, that we would reflect the kingdom of God truly and beautifully. To do that today, I want to recognize I'm a white fella. I don't tan well. This is pretty much as dark as I get. Um, and then I get a little bit red when I go in the sun. And so to say that, like, you know, I, I don't want to talk about something that has not been my personal experience. So I invited two dear friends with me today, uh, Kim and David, who are both indigenous leaders in southeast Queensland, who both love the Lord Jesus and are Christians, and they're going to come and share and talk and wrestle about this issue with us. Would you welcome Kim and David as they come and sit with us? <clears throat> welcome, Kim. Welcome, David. How are you both today? I'm very well, thank you. Now, real quick, because I think this is helpful, how long did it take you to get here today, Kim? <laughs> it took me two hours. Two um, hours. Yeah, I'm, I'm living in Corinda in Brisbane, and um, my sat-nav took me down the beautiful Canungra Way and all awesome. the back way, and I chose to stay on that because <laughs> I wanted to see land and country, and, and I kept looking down. Yeah, I'm still on that two hours. Yeah. About it. <laughs> just on two hours, and it was just beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And David, how about you? Um... I don't know, but every service we do with you, it gets longer and longer. So <laughs> I didn't encounter in the time, but... Yeah. yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. David lives in North Brisbane, so it was at least five hours to get here this morning. <laughs> and, um, and the reason why I asked David and Kim is I know David and Kim well. They're dear friends. I've done, I actually used to work for Kim in a sort of way. Um, David and I are in formation together. We're studying to become United Church ministers together. We sit up the back of the class and backseat bandits a little bit. More David than me. I'm good. David's the one that mucks around all the time. Um, <laughs> But guys, I wanted to like welcome you here, but also acknowledge that you uh, have come to offer a bit of yourselves, a bit of your story, a bit of your history, and just thank you so much for that. I'd love to start by just acknowledging um, your, your people groups and where you guys are from. 
Where are you from, Kim? Okay, um, I'm a Koa, which is Winton, uh, Gugayalanji, the Cape, and with strong ties to Sherberg, which is out in um, near Mergen. Most of you would have heard Sherberg's story. Mm. So my uh, great grandmother uh, was taken from Winton, and my great grandfather was taken from the Cape, and they were brought onto the mission. And um, my family, um, very proud of my family, my great grandfather and um, grandmother, great grandmother, um, all um, looked after the rations shed up there, they were leaders in community, they were stewards of of um, peace and harmony and faith, um, all good people. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. When you say taken, what do you mean by taken? Yeah, they were rounded up and um, taken off their lands and um, brought on to community like you would have heard most people. Um, a, a lot of that's our history. Um, from a COA perspective, my um, aunties and uncles uh, fought for the last five years and last year. Um, in October, we were granted our land rights back for um, we were, um, native title for COA. So uh, we're in the middle of um, understanding what that looks like and as an emerging um, leader within that clan group, um, it's my responsibility to do a bit of a lot of learning with my elders. So I spend a lot of time in yarning with them and trying to understand and being humble and um, we say getting growled at by our aunties and uncles <laughs> quite regularly <laughs> for not doing enough work. So, yeah, but it's it's good, yeah. But it, it was tough times. Um, my mum um, left the mission, or well, she was groomed and raised up as a domestic and she was sent out into servitude at um, 14. She went to Toowoomba, oh, St right. Stephen's was her first placement. She was lucky. She went to a lot of um, pretty good places and ended up um, serving a, um, a bookie in... Um, in Ascot, but lots of my other aunties didn't have such great experiences. Sure. Now, now I'm just going to touch on two things. I'm going to ask you two questions there, and I'm going to ask you about mob, David, in a second. So you said auntie and uncle. Does that mean you got a lot of blood relatives? Like, what I got do you mean heaps. When you say, yeah, my, say, my, my mother was one of um, 11, two died, so one of nine. Um, and um, of those, um, you know, I probably have over... 60 first cousins, but in um, First Nations way, as I'm sure a lot of you know, um, our cousins don't stop at that first line. They go a long way across. Yeah. And um, aunties on your mother's side, my mother's sisters, they're not aunties, they're mothers. And on the brothers, on um, for the boys, the, um, their, their fathers, brothers are fathers as well. So that's how we sort of look after kinship. So that um, cultural adoption is really easy at that time. And it still occurs. You know, there's those loose sort of cultural adoptions that happen all the time. And uh, when you say auntie and uncle, that's often a term of respect. It's not necessarily a blood relative at times. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. And you say yarn. What's a, I mean, we, we talk about yarn, but yarn's actually a deeply significant thing. Yeah, yarn, yarn is steeped in listening first. Yeah, yeah, listening first. And there's lots of silence in yarning as well, huh? And lots of comedy. And, um, yeah, it's just trying to um, put yourself in another's position. And, and you guys would, you know, as Christians would be doing that regularly as well, I would assume. So, But yarning, probably the big significant difference is it comes without a gender and it's steeped in listening. Mm, that's mm. beautiful. Thank mm. you, Kim. Mm. And David, where are your people from? Uh, Budgety, the Kanamala region. Yeah, great. great. And what does it mean when we talk about mob today? If you say our mob, when I say mob, it usually means someone doesn't like a sermon. They want me to take me outside and beat me up, right? <laughs> but when you say mob, you mean something a lot better. Uh, just a definitive word is community. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's a good thing, right? Yeah, fantastic. So, David, let's talk about reconciliation. What does reconciliation mean to you? To me, 
Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it was a God word. See, because the thing is we're in covenant or we're in contract with God the Father and the will for, for mankind or humankind. Sorry, I've got to use inclusive language. Mm. So, sorry about that. Um, in the sense that, um, you know, that we're, we're called to God in, in relationship. Now, the word reconciliation is actually talking about two parties or two people groups that have broken down. So there's no communication or there's no actual fulfilment of that covenant. Mm. So it's returning to that idea of covenanting together. Yeah, and Kim, would you build on that at all? Yeah, well, um, from a Uniting Church perspective, um, the Uniting Church has had a covenant with First Peoples, a formal statement. Pastor Bill, Bill Hollingsworth was a um, writer of that st- statement. And, um, and that was 1994 that the statement was released. And, and then we've wrestled as a church, First and Second Peoples, as to how we live out that covenant I sit on the um, covenanting working group with the church and David um, comes in and out of that, that conversation depending on availability. And uh, I work with the moderator of the Yarnag Church but more importantly I work with a lot of the Christian elders um, around all our communities um, within Queensland. And a lot of people don't realise, I don't think, that um, First Nations elders, many of them have are deeply, deeply faith people, of, of faith, deep, deep faith um, and, you know, a lot of them, we didn't all grow up on missions, a lot of us did, um, but that didn't preclude us from knowing that there was something bigger and better and brighter than ourselves as people. Connection to country is, you know, what you were saying, love this land, you know, love this land is loving God, is loving the creator, is loving ourselves. we are one. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it's really interesting, one of our um, um, church leaders, a um, uh, second person, uh, Reverend Craig, he works with the, the communities up in Arakoon and I was getting to know him a little bit more deeply earlier this year and he was telling me about some of the stories of the elders up there who, when the missionaries first came and started talking about this God and, you know, telling them stories about this God, one of the old fellas said, we know that man, we know him, we've been talking to him for years, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's just trying to find the right language to bridge those barriers of, um, you know, what has been a living God within the nation for thousands of years and what it looks like as an expression today. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's actually statistically 73% of Indigenous and Torres Strait Islanders are actually Christians, followers of Jesus. Um, There are, you know, more Indigenous Torres Strait Islanders by percentage who are Christians than Europeans or other cultures in Australia. Which, which is something that we, we often don't think about or play with. You mentioned something there, Kim, and I'd encourage people to look it up, the covenanting statement between the Uniting Church. We're the only Christian denomination in Australia that has a covenant with First Nation people. And it's, it's a really interesting statement because what it does is it, it says the gospel wasn't a bad thing um, to bring, but the way it was brought was not helpful. And the way it talks about it celebrates the beauty of the gospel, but the method in which, which was delivered may not have been helpful. Or it could, it did, it did and cause a lot of harm. And I really love the language that I'd encourage you to research it and look it up. But on touching on that, David, my question is, this stuff's in the past. Like, you know, can't we just get over this? Why do we have to keep talking about the injustice, the hurt and the pain? Because you and I, I haven't hurt you. Like, we're, we're good mates. So why do we have to keep on circling around reconciliation? Well, I guess because it's not even that long ago that um, our people were considered flora and fauna, mm. um, like it's 
less than a, a generation and a half. I'm going by a biblical generation as in 40 years, yeah, but sure. within 50 or 60 years, it's still current. Um, and the thing is, it's that it's, it's actually trauma that's systemic and it's transgenerational. So at the end of the day, for me, it's all right for me. I can have a good life. I can enjoy the church. I can enjoy living in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. Um, but the thing is, I've given the ability or the choice to decide for equal opportunity. As in the sense I'm no longer a fringe dweller or a 1% in the society, I actually have the same opportunity and the same ability to achieve these things. But not forgetting that my old lady, I call my old lady, my mum, my old lady. Sure, it's great. Yeah, Does yeah. she like you calling her your old lady? Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> the old girl, but yeah. Um, anyway, in that regard, because of that, her being my forebear and her going through that. Now, at the end of the day, my mum also was a Christian believer. I mean, there was the thing that you can either be a victim of your circumstance or your past or whatever situation you get yourself in. But what I've learned <laughs> That nine times out of ten, I'll tell you what, ten out of ten, I was lying when I said that. <laughs> every circumstance and every struggle and every trial and tribulation that I've been through has been my own doing. So at the end of the day, if I can learn to own my stuff, like as in go hands up and say it was me that did this, I don't have time to blame other people or blame God or blame my upbringing. Because at the end of the day, my identity is in Christ. And the thing is, like Annie Kim was saying, that it's our elders that actually imparted us, imparted into us that actual belief system. And like at the end of the day, just to, to clarify that Christianity is not a white religion. It's not, you know, it's not the white man's God. It's actually Jewish. <laughs> so last, last time I checked, I, I think um, Jesus spoke Aramaic and I think he probably had colour in between me and you, eh, Annie Kim? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, where well, some people get that idea, I'm quite confounded, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And, and you, like, Kim, you also have a perspective of this. Why, why, why can't we move past the injustice? Yeah, it's just so early. Um, my, as I said, you know, mum was raised under the Act. Um, I was born under the Act. I, I was born in 66. When and you say the Act, what's the Act? Um, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait, or the Aboriginal um, um, Protection Act. So, it, we really didn't have any rights as a human. Um, mum had to sign wherever she went. She had to tell people where she was going. When she, and when I told you, she went out into um, domestic service. They weren't giving them their money. She got tokens to go and spend at certain places and so forth. So, you know, having those elders, those old girls and boys, they didn't have agency in their life, you know. They didn't have freedoms in their life and they came. I think mum signed her um, exemption certificate, I think it was around um, 1965, the year before I was born, um, which says when you when you sign your exemption certificate, well, you're still under the Act. Um, it says that you, that you um, give up any um, connection you have to culture and you will walk in the white ways. Now, she signed it knowing that she would never do that, but she signed it um, just to get some a bit more freedom and to be able to marry because she was in love with my dad, wanted to marry, all that sort of stuff, wanted to have children. And um, I hit my dad's German. Um, 
Yes, yeah, so th- that's why it's it's still new, and even after the referendum referendum at sixty seven, people Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders found it really difficult to get work, and get you know and have agency in in building their own economy, participating in the economy, and um, and yet that exclusion creates creates um, trauma. It creates inequity. And that takes time to work through. I remember, and I say this so much in, in the, with the people that I speak with, I remember sitting with mum when I was around, um, it was 30 years ago, when I was around, um, you know, 25 or so, and she said, um, I was really cranky and angry and why doesn't it happen and why can't we get there fast enough and, you know, this is so wrong, and you know, like railing at the world as a young 25 always does and rightfully so, keep doing that. And um, she she said to me, just, Kimmy, just be patient. This is going to take time. People need time to go on the, hum- uh, on the, on the journey with us. You know, that, and she said, it's going to take another 50 years before we get there properly. And, yeah, that's 30 years ago. And the time and, and where we were then to where we are now, we've progressed so much. And, and you, you spoke earlier in your, in your um, presentation or in your um, sermon to start with about... Um, you know, why do we keep sinking money into reconciliation? And and it's because it's actually helping. You may not see it, but it does help. We have, you know, we have lots of young people going through and getting their university degrees now, but they'll take a little bit more time to actually affect change and create that, that gentle, organic recon- reconciliation that happens when you're working alongside a First Nations person. That's beautiful, Kim. Yeah. And w- w- let me ask you this. How does, how does the gospel change your identity? As a, like, identity is very important to an Indigenous person. And uh, it, what has what the gospel done to encourage that identity, cement that identity, or, 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 or transform that identity in form? Yeah, well, I grew up as, you know, with a Christian ethos in a home that was, you know, um, um, always had God in, in our living life. Um, and then I, um, at, in my early 20s, I went away and started doing, I worked in corporate Australia. And I remember going up to Sherberg and I saw my beautiful Auntie Faithy and she said to me, oh, you're white, white black fella now, Kimmy. And I went, what are you talking about, Auntie Faithy? She said, you got a flash car there. And I said, yeah, um, you know, it's all right, Auntie. I'm just hanging, you know, hanging out, learning, working. She said, don't fall too far. And I didn't really understand what that – and it's only now, like recently, that I understood what she was saying to me. She was saying, don't fall too far away from culture. And I did. I, w- I lost myself in, in corporate world and I really skilled myself up in terms of how to run organisations, how to be in industry, how to walk in the other side of the world in which we live in. And um, and then I realised, hey, I've lost all of this. I've lost all of this. I've lost my connection to faith. I've lost my, lost my connection to culture. And I was intentional about coming back to God and coming back to culture. And I was intentional about trying to find uh, a, a role in not-for-profit. And, you know, God presented my mm. opportunity in the Uniting Church. Mm. And I really do believe, like, nothing, none of what I do is ever for me. And, it not, and I'm always amazed at, you know, even today, why I'm sitting here talking to you. But it's – and it's just – you just trust in God and, and – um, Danny, 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 you know, he talked about your Proverbs 5 and, you know, just trusting in the Lord and that's kind of all I do. Yeah. yeah. So that's how faith sort of oh, has shaped beautiful. what I'm doing. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that, Kim. What about you, David? How's the gospel shifted your identity? Um, like Annie Kim was saying, uh, I think it shifts it to the degree that you actually realise that you're based in God. 
that you are a son and a daughter of God. Depending on what version you read, I read the King James, it says sons, which is in Greek. Um, but that identity actually gives you purpose. See, the thing is, you look at Indigenous people, and the great thing about things like with only Kim and that doing that governance and administration, there's actually hope, like I said, equal opportunity in the ability for everyone to have a go. Mm. And that sense of, you can say you can say that, like, you know what I mean, that it's good, that it's easy going, but there's still a rift. There's still a mm. great divide, like there is a gap. People talk about closing the gap. What is it? It isn't your mouth. It's actually the great divide between uh, Indigenous people and seconds or whoever. Because at the end of the day, we flip it. It's different when I spoke with Nat, but if you flip it to Ani Kim's side of the fence, you see that the gap is actually in education, in mm. health, in administration, in jobs. Mm. So at the end of the day, there's still trauma that is prolific in community. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Dave, one of the questions I, was, I would ask you is, how do, we, um, how do we differentiate between the political conversation about reconciliation and the church's conversation about reconciliation? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, January 26 is coming around again. Um, NADOC week, sorry day, and these things can sometimes be overwhelmingly driven with political agendas. Is there a difference between politics and the church's conversation about this stuff? Well, it depends how you look at the church. Is the church itself governed or regulated by the government? Mm. Or is it focused in Christ? Mm. Because in, that, in the day of mourning that the Uniting Church celebrates, like at the end of the day, it acknowledges the atrocities it acknowledges the colonisation, the forcing of the gospel, which is strange because the gospel was already here. They just didn't have the written word. Mm. Yeah, they, they had this thing called encounters with God, as mm. in the, the spirit of God, a mm. visitation. But with that political thing and religion, as they say, it doesn't mix. But mm. you're going to find that in various times, even leading up to now, you're going to have to stand in a space that you don't want to. Whether you're just a Christian, you're going to be called in that political realm. Yeah. Whether you're just a politician, you're going to be called in the church realm. Yeah. So yeah. there's a meeting of minds, shall we yeah. say, in that regard. Yeah, yeah 100%. That, now, you said, you said something a couple of times there, David, around indigenous spirituality. How do, we, how do we wrestle with one thing? You know, let me be blunt, if that's okay. Sometimes we can look at it and go, well, that's paganism, and that's Christianity. But there's a little bit more fluidity in how you speak about that. How do, we, how do we process indigenous spirituality and Christian spirituality? Is there a danger of areas where it should go and shouldn't go? And how do you process it as an indigenous and First Nations person? Well, it's processed like this. You have two aspects of faith. You, if you're charismatic, Pentecostal, spirit-filled, born-again believer, you're obviously going to swing more to the spirit or to that encounter thing, yeah, mm. where the Holy Spirit ministers to you. So... It's as dangerous as you want it to be or what you assign value to or what you believe. But nine times out of ten with the encounters that Indigenous people have, it can be related back to Scripture. Mm. Every encounter that someone's had, you can find it in Scripture, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament. Um, but what I want to tell you is this. Most of our tribal law for, for all of the nations within Australia, right, as in Indigenous community, are based around the Ten Commandments. So at the end of the day, even before the Queen decided to bring a constitution 
and say this is a Judeo-Christian country. <clears throat> so before colonisation was, we were. Mm. In the sense of uh, the scriptures can confirm that spirituality. And the thing is, if you want to demonise it, if you want to say that's kooky or the devil's a part of that, well, that's, that's all good and well. But at the end of the day, there's a meeting of the word and the spirit. Mm. So you can find that people have encounters outside of the Bible, yeah? Anyone can. You can have encounters on LSD. But what I'm saying... What <laughs> don't, I'm saying, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, I don't want to lead the church astray. I was just yeah, making a point. I yeah. hope it's stuck with you. Um, but in saying that, just know that the, um, that the scriptures, the Bible itself will always confirm for you what's right and what's wrong. But even before the scriptures came, that's colonisation to me in the sense of the Bible came, yet God was already here, walked amongst our people. Yeah. Because you think about it, he was here, moving, living, breathing. Mm. And at the end of the day, like I said, our law, our cultural law, or L-O-R-E as well, actually goes back to, it's more similar to the Hebrew children than it is. Yeah. And it's interesting what you say there because it's part of even the way YWAM interacts missionally is YWAM realised that white men would go in and go, you've got to become like Europe. But they've, they've actually shifted and they go, we go in and go, God, where are you already at work? What do we, what do we need to challenge? Or what do we need to bless? And that's, for me, I, was, I remember there was a pivotal moment called incarnational ministry. When Jesus came and took on flesh, there were things he challenged, but there were things that he blessed. Things where God is already at work and moving in and things where God needs to say, hey, we got to, there's some issues here we've got to address. And the scriptures bring that clarity to that, which, which I think is, is beautiful. You wouldn't, and I just want to give you a chance to clarify this, David, you don't think less of the scriptures though, even though it was brought by a white man. Would that be correct? Well, no, because at the end of the day, it's used for reproof, for instruction and guidance. Yeah. So at the end of the day, if it glorifies Jesus, then I'm all for it. Yeah, come on. No, it's good. I knew that would be your heart. I just wanted to, to, to gain that clarity. Uh, what a, you know, one of the things I'd ask here, Kim, is that we, we hear this intersection between what Jesus is doing, what the church is doing, what reconciliation needs to take place. When you think about this practically, what, what, what are the next steps that Christians can take? Like if we, if we actually want to be a part of this, how do we take practical next steps in reconciliation? Well, from a, um, in the work that I do as a manager of the RAP program for Uniting Care, uh, I talk about this quite regularly in, in that most people have great intent to walk with First Nations people and understand, but it's moving that intent to active action, you know, like being in relationship with First Nations people. And that can be as easily as done as, you know, if, you don't, if you're time poor, if you're restricted to home, to get onto NITV and educate yourself around that. That's really good programming. Um, you've got traditional owner groups up and down the coast who can you can engage with and, you know, do community events with. I mean, this church, your congregation, for instance, could organise um, and, you know, I could help in terms of 
creating um, intro introductions to um, traditional owner groups around here so you can spend time with First Nations people. Because going back to that question you said, you know, in terms of how do you balance the the, the church state and the government state, it, 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 it always is through relationship and respect. You know, the, the guiding principles of our reconciliation action plan are respect, relationships, self-determination and equity. But it all starts with respect and relationship and then and being in relationship with First Nations people. Now, you don't all have to get in there and be buddies with First Nations people, but just have an open heart to be able to see them and um, and for us to actually have an open heart to be able to see you as well. And I think if you really um, um, in interrogate that thought for a little while, you can see that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples work with an open heart regularly in terms of trying to be understood and to understand. Yeah, and we've got a – I'll do a plug because, you know, I sit and talk this all the time. We've got a great opportunity to do that as a people with the, the voice to parliament. So, yeah, yeah so yeah. that's that's something that will be that intersection between faith and, and, and government as well. Yeah, it will be really, really important, Kim. That's beautiful. I appreciate that. And, David, like, what about you? How, how do we take practical next steps in this reconciliation journey? Well, practical thing. I reckon that the major thing is, I'll take it back to scripture because I love doing that. But the thing is, if you want to get to know, can I just use the word blackfellas on the key? I say yeah, blackfellas you know as well, I mean? but because I can't say that as much yeah, well, in I mean, my Because, because <laughs> at the end of the day, like, I mean, the terminology's changed so much. I mean, you might as well be reading a Dr. Seuss book, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but anyway, green eggs and ham, Sam, I am. But, um... <laughs> I can't really say blackfellas yeah. in, in corporate world. Oh, okay, yeah, I just hope we're... You I feel just, free, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. As long as you say it's better. Yeah, yeah. Poetic right, eh? Hey? Yeah. Um, no, but anyway, just, just, just in saying that, it's like just Jesus, when he had something important to teach or to be relational with the apostles or the disciples or anyone in general, he spoke to them in a language that they understood. He spoke to the woman at the well spoke to her about the issues in her life, but the reference was to living water when she was trying to draw water from the well. But the second point is this is the best part. When Jesus had something to teach his disciples, they always sat down and had a feed. Because the thing is, when they have food, all your walls go down. Well, mine do, I know that much. <laughs> Sorry, Lord, I sold my inheritance for a bowl of soup. <laughs> but, but anyway, what I'm getting at is that, that Jesus... Jesus has something important when they sit down and have a feed because at the end of the day, it's a heart-to-heart -heart thing. See, communion didn't actually start at the Last Supper. It was the three and a half years that he spent with the apostles. Eh? I love it, David. So let me finish this question for you both. What are your hopes for our nation? Um, is that we just continue on this journey. I can see um, there's such great heart and there's such great wisdom with our young people, you know, both first and second peoples, um, to, 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 um, to walk um, closer together. It doesn't seem that we're that far apart. Our hearts are open. You're seeing a lot more young people come through, First Nations people come through and, and live and work with uh, and make decisions and we've got judges and, you know, we've got 
orthopaedic surgeons, not many, and all of, you know, surgery, dentistry, all the STEM people. We're recognising that you know science is built in First Nations knowledge. Mm. You know, astronomy is built in First Nations knowledge. So it's it's not so much the other anymore, and it's nothing to be afraid of. And the, the, our culture, First Nations culture, is your culture. You know, when you go overseas, the first thing you do is you know people overseas say, oh, tell us about you know what Aboriginal Australia is like and what Torres Strait Islander Australia at. And I and I know that, you know, people going overseas wear it with this beautiful pride that you've got. But when you come back, you know, get into it and like learn it, be with it, all of that sort of thing. And we're not perfect. And we've got lots of, you know, um, dysfunction and all of those sorts of things within. But don't concentrate on that. Just look for the gems and the gold and, and look for your opportunity to be in relationship. Beautiful. How about you, David? Well, God's a tri-generational God, yeah? Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That God would so permeate the nation of Australia within the Indigenous communities and without Second Nations as well altogether that you'd come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, yeah? Yeah. That's a slant to the evangelist on me, baby. Come on. I love it. Friends, would you thank, thank David and Kim for joining us today? Friends, I hope what you heard today was the beginning. There was a lot of stuff that Kim even said and David was saying, I'm like, oh, we could unpick that for like five hours. But one of the things I've learned and probably the most important for me has been uh, this, this is about real people. This isn't an issue that we have an opinion on. It's a people to walk with. I remember distinctly many years ago being on a youth camp and thinking to myself, what? this also seems too hard. And I got to sit with a lady named Arnie Jean. And Auntie Jean, uh, I, was, I was able to sit with her, and she was an indigenous elder. She's still, still alive and well today. But I said, Auntie, like, I, don't, I just don't get it. This just seems too hard. What's reconciliation going to look like for us? How can we actually do this? I still remember today what she said. She said, Michael, reconciliation will take place when black fella and white fella come, to, come before the cross of Jesus Christ in repentance. And I thought, oh, flip, I could get behind that. Because repentance is what has saved me. Repentance is my story. Repentance is something I do daily. And if there's a sense of equality, if we come together, then I'm about that. I can repent for things in my nation. I can repent for things in my past. You know, sometimes we can say, well, it's not my place to say sorry. But when we look at other nations and the atrocities that they've done in their history, we appreciate when they've acknowledged it in world wars, when they've said, hey, this is significant, and when they haven't denied it. But then when it comes to our own, we go, that happened generations before us. I actually think there's something really sacred about going, hey, I own our history, and I'm going to forge a better future with all people. Here's the thing I love about Nyaf Kulungata, is that you're a multiracial congregation. Just because people are white doesn't mean that you're all from the same culture. But my hope is, is that this would not be a church, that we would not be a family of churches where everyone looks the same. Here's how you know you're not in the kingdom of God, when everyone looks like you. When I stand before the throne, in the end of the day, I'm going to be standing before a side people going, we would not have been friends but for Jesus. Right? I've told you before, that's mine and Scott's story. Now we're best mates because of Jesus. He surfs. He's good looking. Look at me. Right? And that's the hope. I want to read to you now a poem written by the lady who drew this picture from a, a, an artist that whose name is on the screen, Waka Waka artist Jasmine Roberts writes this. 
Will you actively participate in bringing about friendship and reconciliation? Will you listen to my songs? Will you walk with me? Will you help me find truth? Will you help me seek justice? Will you please, please take my hand? If I could encourage us to do one thing today, it would be not to be rushing in with our opinions, but to be rushing in with relationship. This is an invitation for us, not to have a post on Facebook or a social media status, but to go, God, where are the indigenous brothers and sisters you are calling me to love, to journey with, and have a good yarn? I could get around the food idea. Amen? Yeah. That's what Cool and Gatta could do really well.